Hey, New Numa family, this is Britt Eaton. You're listening to the New Numa Godcast. I love listening to my brother Norman, the Professor Brown, because he never shies away from topics most of the church won't even touch. If this is your first time listening, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and on the YouTube channel today. What's good, New Numa fam? I'm your host, Norm the Professor, a.k.a. Norman Brown. Welcome to the podcast where you come to get the real from a biblical perspective. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I'd like to personally welcome you and want to let you know a little about what you may expect. I attack the raw issues affecting the church and the world at large today, giving you biblical backup for everything I say. Basically, this podcast gets in your face with issues that are trending, taboo, and tough to talk about, which today's watered-down churches don't even touch. I also interview Christians of all types of backgrounds, careers, ministries, and more to put on record their stories of redemption, salvation, and victory to inspire you to walk out your kingdom purpose to expand the kingdom of God in the earth. If you want the truth, this is definitely a podcast you want to hear. So get your spiritual ears ready to hear what the Lord is saying to the church. Peace. Welcome to the New Numa Godcast. Today, again, I have my sister and my friend in the studio with me, Brittany Eaton. Brittany, why don't you say hi to the audience? Hey, everyone. Hey, Norman. Thank you so much for having me on. So excited to be back with you. Yeah, no problem. No doubt. I'm glad to have you on here as always. And, you know, I want to say that this series that we've been on has been one of the most enlightening series that I've ever done. I mean, it's like I've been learning as I've been teaching, <laughs> as we've been talking. I mean, it's, just, it's just a lot of stuff that we unpacked so far. And um, today is going to be uh, what I anticipate to be the last day of the series that we've been doing. And um, I, can, I guarantee it's going to be even better than what we've already uncovered. But um, what has it been like for you, you know, with us talking about this? Yeah, oh, wow. So the whole Proverbs 31 journey, I mean, depending on what kind of tradition you grew up with in the church and everything else, you might have taken a whole lot of different things out of this. But really digging into the scripture line by line, going into some of the original languages, figuring out what these words mean, the the richness of truth that is coming out of this. It's not just some you know, uh, it's not some to-do list for women to show up and try to be perfect. This is actually, you know, as we've been talking about, it's a representation of what the church, the bride of Christ, is supposed to be in the context of full community. So we're, we're looking here, and while this can certainly speak to one individual woman as uh, the opportunity and the potential that exists with uh, her life when she's letting Christ lead her, but it's also an opportunity for us as believers in full context of community to step in and be who we were always meant to be. So there's just such richness here. You can read through this a hundred times, and the hundred and first time you find something that, wow, God has never revealed that to you before. So there's always more. I love going deep with you. Yeah, it's been really, um, it's been really enlightening. It's been deep. It's been revealing. And, um, and I, I expect nothing less today. So we've been uh, going through Proverbs 31, um, starting at the very famous verse about who can find a virtuous woman and um, and going from there to the end because that's where it talks about this certain type of woman. And uh, 
Mm-hmm. And as we've been saying throughout the series, if um, as you've been following along, um, we're not talking about just a woman that is female, but we're talking about a woman that is the body of Christ. And so with that being said, there are a lot of things that we're drawing out of here that apply to every believer and that we can also use to uh, grow in our understanding of who we are. I mean, we know also throughout the scriptures there's references to sons and, you know, talking about those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Well, that's talking about males and females. So the the thing that we are – gathering from this is that throughout the scripture there are so many things that God has hidden so to speak Um, well he has hidden it you know the Bible says that Mm -hmm. it is to the glory of God to conceal a matter and it is the glory of kings to search it out so we've been we've been searching out these things and we've been discovering a lot of things from the scriptures to see what the Lord is saying and um and it's been a lot of good things here. So today in our uh, continuation of this series, we're starting out at verse 24. So we're in Proverbs chapter 31, starting at verse 24. So it says, she makes fine linen and sells it and delivers girdles unto the merchant. Now, one of the things that we've been noticing throughout this whole passage of Scripture is that this woman is very industrious. And she's very much a, a business person. She's really into business. So she's handling her business. And one of the things that we can think about, you know, when we see this whole thing about the linen, the Bible mm-hmm. talks about when the priests went into uh, the temple that they were wearing linen. And, and the thing about it is it could not be wrinkled. It was something about the linen that it could not be wrinkled it could not get dirty or anything like that. And that was part of what God expected of them when they were coming in into the temple. Specifically, the the deeper they went into the temple, that's when it made a difference. And then we know that in Scripture it says um, he's looking for a church without spot or wrinkle. Now, I know that you know linen is like the hardest thing to not wrinkle. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, every time I remember when I used to think about that, when I realized what God was saying, and I was like, how in the world is that possible? <laughs> like, you just sit down and you already got wrinkled in it. I mean, you can't sit down. You can't you can't move in any kind of direction. You got to, like, get it starched, and it, it needs to just stay still. You know what I mean? Don't move anywhere because yep. it's going to get wrinkled as soon as you move. So when I thought about that, and, you know, I've thought about that over time, I'm like, you know, God is asking something that really is impossible without, without the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, if we're talking about without spot or wrinkle, I know every time I get something white, somehow, some way, some little spot will be on it, and I'll be like, where did that come from? How did that happen? You know, and I'm not even sure where, you know, where it could have gone down, but I'm like, somehow I got a a mark on my white thing, white shorts, white (laughs) shirt, white pants. And I'm like, what is going on here? So it's like just moving about, you're not even trying to do it, and you get spot. So the bottom line is God knows that it is impossible for you to not have spots or wrinkles 
and linen. But mm-hmm. the point is not about whether we can do it. It's about through him that it is a we are clean and we are made wrinkle-free and spot-free because of the blood, because we are under the blood. We are in his, we are in his covering. And all that other stuff is just is moved out of the way. I mean, what do you get out of that when you see this? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you're preaching to the choir over here. That's unbelievable. When you see that word linen the first time, you're like, what? Why linen? Why not? Why not like a nice cotton blend, cotton poly blend, <laughs> something like that? Even thinking about how there was no such thing as an iron to try to press that fabric back then. Like other than like laying it in the sun or hanging it up perfectly after you laundered it to think about trying to keep that garment perfect in the natural. It's absolutely impossible. But the, you know, the root word for linen here is actually a a symbol for righteousness, which is wild because not only could we not keep the fabric linen perfect in our own strength, we also cannot be holy, pure, blameless, and walk in righteousness without that power of the Holy Spirit like flowing through us. So it's amazing to me to see a foreshadowing of the coming Christ, even in these words, to know that the righteousness that we are being called to was never meant to be something we were supposed to earn on our own. We were never able to do that under the old law, and so the, the need for Christ to come, to wash us clean, to help us provide that pure and holy sacrifice so that we could surrender all to him. That that concept of righteousness as it pertains to linen, it shows you how difficult that would be to do in our flesh and in the natural. And it just makes me so thankful for Jesus. Also, I hate laundry, so <laughs> that's another thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's kind of interesting because I, I looked up, I went back um, as you were talking, and I wanted to go, I went into the book of Exodus. And right here in the book of Exodus, it breaks down a whole lot of things that were made of linen. So in Exodus mm-hmm. 25, um, it starts out where, you know, Moses is told by God, um, certain way to do the, make the tabernacle. And so everything that he was doing had to be a specific way. And, um, and so he was, he was told by God to make these things, certain things made of certain types of uh, things like gold, silver, bronze, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. So one of the things that I'm, I'm looking at, it says, and, well, I guess I'll just go to the fact that Exodus 25 verse 4 says, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's mm-hmm. hair. Mm-hmm. Fine linen is the key words that go together. They, those are the key words that go together, fine linen. It doesn't just mm-hmm. say linen. It says fine linen. And it's yeah. interesting how in, in the book of Proverbs thirty one twenty four it's saying fine linen. Now, mm-hmm. then when you go down to uh, Exodus 26, verse 1, it says, moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen mm-hmm. and blue and purple and scarlet. So just for those that don't know, scarlet means red. So you have blue, purple, and red. These are the three colors that apparently are very uh, much, they, they kind of like represent God and, you know, things around him, righteousness mm-hmm. and what. These are like three main colors, royalty, all, all those kinds of things. And then um, you go down and you see where uh, Exodus twenty six thirty six says, And thou shalt make an hanging for the door of the tent 
of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought mm. with needlework. So over and over and over, we keep seeing this thing about linen. Exodus 28, uh, verse 6, And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and of purple, of scarlet, and fine twine linen with cunning work. <laughs> so then 28, 15 says, And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. After the work of the ephod, thou shalt make it. Gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine twine linen shall you make it. So we mm-hmm. keep seeing all these things that, um, that are talking about the linen. Now, another thing, Exodus twenty-eight forty-two, and you shall make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. From the loins mm-hmm. even unto the thighs they shall reach. So this is talking mm-hmm. about the clothes that these men were wearing. Um, then go to Exodus 35, verse 23, and it says, And every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. So it, it's just, it just keeps on being um, reiterated about this linen. And mm-hmm. the thing that, that I feel like is um, very interesting is the fact that, you know, we know that um, – it was certain strict requirements specifically for the high priest back then when they entered into the uh, holies of holies. And not only did they have to be uh, free of sin, but they also, again, like I said, they could not have linen that was dirty. They couldn't even sweat in it. Yeah. It, it said they couldn't even sweat in it. Now, how is it possible to be in the, in the desert in the heat? And, you know, you're under this, um, I mean, I know that it might have been a little shade because you've got a covering that's blocking the sun or whatever, but, I mean, mm-hmm. all in all, it's hot. It there were no fans. There were no, um, you know, uh, air, there was no air conditioning or whatever, but God expected them to not even sweat. Yeah. So that was really, um, <laughs> really interesting to me that um, God actually was saying that they cannot even sweat when, they, when they're in there, in that tabernacle, when they're coming in. So these are things that um, are very interesting about the way that God set up things with those, with those priests and whatnot. So the point I'm making all in all is that this, there's something to this whole thing about the linen, and this fine linen specifically is uh is very uh specific how God is saying that fine linen and mm-hmm. um and the thing that really is interesting about it is that the woman is making it. Yeah. It didn't yeah. say she went somewhere and bought it. It said that she made it. Yeah. So this points to something with us. We have mm-hmm. a duty in mm-hmm. our walk with God, like you said, this is representing righteousness. If we are walking with the Lord Part of our duty is that we're supposed to make sure that we are walking in righteousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think it it's interesting with these passages and looking back to the historical context back further back in the Old Testament, just understanding that the woman herself would likely have been responsible for making these fine linens, even the ones that were used on the high priest, even the ones that were used in the tabernacle, these kinds of things, and to understand the beauty of the role of women. And this certainly doesn't mean like in order to be a woman of God, you have to knit fine linen even today. we got to look at this all in this context. For sure, yeah. I sure as heck don't know how to make linen. <laughs> I rarely even buy it because it's not wrinkle-proof. But, but to understand, the woman can be responsible for producing this holy and consecrated thing that is meant to draw all of humankind back to the heart of God. And, and this, I believe, is a foreshadowing, even when you think about, about uh, Mary, carrying the baby Jesus inside of her body, she was physically responsible for producing this this God-man child that would then come in and change the context of how human beings could connect with God, not by way of perfectly walking out the law, but by way of having a perfect sacrifice produced for them. And it, all it took from Mary was her willingness to partner with the Holy Spirit. And she says, may it be unto me as you say. This, yes, I'll do it. Her yes meant salvation for all of us. Her willingness to allow a child to be knit together in her womb, something much more precious than fine linen for sure. But I believe this is a foreshadowing of the beauty of what women contribute to the context of community it's something not that men couldn't make fine linen but wow when we're when we're really walking in the things that God is leading us to do and we're humbly submitting to whatever those things are that's when we as the body step in and do what we were always meant to do and I just see beauty in that parallel I absolutely love it and all of the Old Testament comes into context with the idea that righteousness is something we cannot do on our own Yes. So, um, so then, the part B of this verse, she delivers girdles unto the merchant. So, she's making the fine linen. She's selling it. Mm-hmm. Then she delivers girdles unto the merchant. Now, girdles. Um, I mean, it, it says belts when you look it up in the Hebrew um, language. It, it means belt. But mm-hmm. when, when I think about that, I think about how the Bible says you gird about with the with uh, the truth, the girdle mm-hmm. of truth, the belt of truth, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so that's what I think about when I see that. And you're giving it to those that are the merchants, and those people that are the merchants are those people that are out there that are giving it out to. They're selling it to whoever wants to buy that. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Word of God says, buy the truth and sell it not. But in this case, it's like you're getting, you're getting something that is meant to be given out, is, is meant to be distributed. And one of yeah. the, what is the one thing that we're trying to distribute to the world? And that's the good mm-hmm. news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. supposed to be distributing the good news of the kingdom, the fact that the kingdom has come and it's time for us to tap into it. Is right at hand, mm-hmm. right near us, within reach. So that right there is a very good uh, picture of what the church is supposed to be doing. That's so so then, in verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. When I see that, that phrase, strength and honor, 
I think of the movie Gladiator, and, uh, and I remember <laughs> when uh, when he was going by and everybody he, they would hit their chest and they were like strength and honor, strength and honor, strength and honor, and um, and I was thinking about how it's like it was such a an honor for them to fight in that fight, and when I flip that to a spiritual side, that's an honor to fight the good fight of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in this fight for a reason, and it is an honor to be in the fight. It is a good fight of faith. Why? Because we always win. It's always going to be good when you win. Mm-hmm. Only the winners mm-hmm. always feel good. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yep. your, your fight is not good if you lost. <laughs> so that's the thing that I think of when I see that. You know, we have we are we are the ones who have strength and honor. Now those two words separately are already, you know, saying a lot. That word strength it means force, security, majesty, praise, boldness, mm-hmm. loud, might, power. And so these are all types of applications of that strength. But then you yeah. have the honor. And honor is a magnificence. It's is an ornament or a splendor, excellency. Beauty, glorious, glory, goodly, mm-hmm. majesty. So it's so much that goes with that. And, I mean, when we think about this, it's like saying, um, you know, um, you, are, you are representing the king. And mm-hmm. as a representation of the king, you have to come correct. And how do you come correct? You have to come in a way where there is beauty and excellence and and gloriousness to who you are. Yeah. People will notice that about you. You stand out from the rest. You stand out as someone that is not the average person that people mm. just come across. And you know, yeah. I hate I hate I hate to say it this way, but I need to bring a reality check to the to the church. You are not the majority in this world. You are the minority. Mm-hmm. We are mm-hmm. less than the west, the rest of the world on this planet. There are few of us than there are of them. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is, okay, on the one hand, spiritually speaking, if we want to go back to like when um, I believe it was Elisha who said, open up his eyes so he could see, and then he saw all the angels and everything, he was like, those mm-hmm. that are with us are more than those that are with them. That's one thing. That's those that are with us. But that's on the spiritual side. But in mm. the natural side, it's more of them than there are of us. So when we yeah. realize that, we got to realize that we are the few, the proud, the kingdom. <laughs> right. you know, I'm just thinking that from the Marines. But anyway, <laughs> so, so we are, we got to realize we are the remnant. Anyone who is in the kingdom of God, you're already the remnant just because you're part of the kingdom. Now, there's a difference between you go into a place and you're a dime a dozen, because when you're a dime a dozen, you don't stand out. Yeah. So that's the difference between us and the world. And I was, yeah. um, just the other day when I was at church, um, the, the, the person who was speaking was the pastor's wife, and, and she was saying how um, love you know, we we talk about loving, and it's this whole thing in the body of Christ now. It's like a lot of people are talking about loving and how what that means and what that looks like or whatever. But 
then you got to wonder what's their definition of love. What are they really thinking mm-hmm. about when they say you loving somebody? Mm-hmm. Because love can be just as uh, forceful as it can be, um, you know, pleasant or if you want to say peaceful or whatever in that sense. Love is going to have peace, but love can also bring, you know, some force. And, yeah. and it depends on what the situation is. God is love. God is love, but God is not going to back down from a war either. That's so true. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing that we have to balance out and understand, okay, if I love you, for instance, if I love my child enough, then I'm going to put them in check when they're out of line. I'm going to tell them they're wrong when they're, they're not right. I'm going to also, mm-hmm. you know, discipline them as, as needed when those times come. I'm not going to sit by and let them go straight to hell and say, I love you. I love you. I just really love you. And I'm mm-hmm. just really being an, a, a, a tool to be used to allow them to continue going down the path of destruction. If I truly yeah. love them, when I see them doing wrong, I'm going to make sure I correct them in the middle of the wrong because I don't want mm. them to go out, like I've said many times, if I love my child, I'm not going to let them run out in the middle of a highway and play basketball. I'm going to right. go and tell them, get out of here. Go over it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, if I have to yell to get them out of that highway, I'm going to yell, get off yep. the street, you know, get over here in this yard, you know. And then later <laughs> on, we can work out and hash out whether I was loving them or not. They're going to realize, yeah. when they realize what I just did, I was loving them. Yeah. Loving means I'm going to be doing my best to make sure that I'm, I'm protecting as well as correcting. I'm not going to just sit by and let someone do something that's going to destroy them if I really love them. Right, right. Well, and I think that one of the biggest misconceptions that we have in the world, and I don't think this is intended by the church, the world thinks that if you love me, you will not only accept all of my decisions and my lifestyle, but you will also affirm all of my decisions and all of my lifestyle. And that that's something that gets very complicated. I mean, pick your issue of the day. The church is very often scared to stand up for what is true for fear of offending someone or potentially alienating them from the love that's already theirs. But when you get down to it, Norman, you cannot have love if you do not also have truth. Conversely, I believe, and this is this is a big aha moment for the church, I do not believe you can have truth if you are incapable of speaking it in love. And so figuring out the juxtaposition and the calibration of truth in love, we don't get to do either or. We're meant to do both and. And it's extremely challenging because much of the world, even if you do speak truth in love or even if you do love someone by giving them the truth, the world would tell them that that's not loving but we have to look to the father's example as a good father, as someone who lovingly corrects and disciplines his children because he's a good father. This is what we're meant to emulate from a discipleship perspective, but also to remember, even as we're speaking to people in the world, who are we are called to love, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> even when we're speaking truth to these people, sometimes we do have to remember 
if they have no context for who the father is if they don't know him as a good father they would see us speaking truth as not loving but abusive and this is just a reality that we have to deal with sometimes as believers but we have to trust you know even when we feel called to speak truth and love even when we're misunderstood for it even when we're hated for it as individuals and as a people group we have to trust the holy spirit's leading for him to convict who he wants to convict when and how he wants to do so whether or not he wants to use us as participants but our only role is to be willing to be the hands and feet of jesus to discern what we hear from holy spirit and do our best to speak that truth in love to the people around us to whatever end and it's a high high challenge but if we can walk as this proverbs 31 woman wrapped in bold power and majesty having these things wrapped around us being clothed in them it won't really matter to us how people respond. We'll know that we've been faithful, and ultimately it's up to the Holy Spirit to move their hearts and to change their minds. They get to do that. <laughs> this, is, this is a place where I think surrender, that, that idea of selling these, these linens, these fine linens that this Proverbs 31 woman is making, thinking about how she's selling them, the, the translation at the end of verse 25 that I'm reading um, actually, or I'm sorry, at the end of verse 24, says that she sells these linens and does these things for the benefit of her enemies. And traditionally, in context for this woman, their enemies would have been the Canaanites, and we're not fighting the Canaanites in this day and age, but understanding those people who we would be tempted to call our enemies, the reason we produce this fine linen, the reason we we give all we can of ourselves to try to produce this holy and perfect sacrifice to the Lord, even knowing we can't do it perfectly on our own, the reason we try to w- walk with the Lord and walk out a holy existence is for the benefit of the people we would call enemy. When they see us clothed in righteousness, when they see us wrapped in, in power and in majesty, they're going to see that there's something about us that's different and that it's not a bad thing, something they need to be afraid of, but something that is a representation of the heart of the Father that would draw them closer. When we do this, the Father does what he says in, in you know, the in uh, Psalm 23 when he says, the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Why do you think he does that? It's not so we can gloat and be like, ha-ha, enemies, look at the feast my father prepared for me. It's so we can actually invite our enemy to the table, and they can break bread with us, and they can become our brother when they see that the same grace and mercy and forgiveness and love that we have received has been extended to them as well. So truth and love in calibration, I see that all over this verse, and as this passage wraps up, it really showcases the power and the authority we have in this realm as believers to carry this out as a representation, not just for this Proverbs 31 woman, but as a representation of the bride of Christ and who we were meant to be to the world. Indeed, indeed. So to wrap up that verse, it's interesting how it says, and she shall rejoice in time to come. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the good fight of faith. You know, um, when you're going through the battle, that individual battle that you face, whatever it may be, you know, um, there was another thing about that, that, that movie Gladiator that I really love. But from another perspective, when um, the sun showed up to that battle, um, he said, have I missed the battle? And he says, you have missed the war. <laughs> and, uh, 
<laughs> and um, he was feeling kind of stupid when he when he heard that. <laughs> and, <laughs> but as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about how like there are battles and then there are wars. So the war is, you know, you might lose a battle here and there, and that's fine in certain ways. But when it comes to the overall war, as long as you know that in the end you will win, that's what matters most. And that's the thing that believers have to remind themselves of is that, yes, we're going to be in situations where we might lose that individual battle at that time. But as we continue to train and get stronger and get better with our skills of fighting and whatnot, I mean, think about it. Constantly, soldiers go through uh, training. They don't get mm-hmm. training one time and stop. That's not how it works. You've got to consistently get trained as a soldier so you know mm-hmm. how to handle situations that come up. Different right. types of conflict, you know, they'll talk about what are the rules of engagement, you know, things like that. And you base on... You base your reaction based on what's the rules of engagement or whatnot. So as we, as we walk through our walk of Christ, we're going to get stronger as yeah. long as we continue with him. We will get stronger. So when you get stronger, then there might be another time when that same type of battle comes around. And then when that battle comes again, you're going to crush it because you've been trained well since the first or the last time that you were in the battle. So yeah. there's things that you learn each time you go through battle. I mean, if you think about it, it's like, you know, you might be, you know, realizing that, oh, when you look back at the plans that you had and you looked at the strategy that you used and you say, oh, this is where we were vulnerable, you know, then you find out, oh, well, if we had gone from the east side, we would have gotten the enemy, but we kept hitting them from the west and we weren't seeing them. You know, and so right. that's the kind of thing you learn when you're able to go back and, and realize why you lost the battle. When you realize right. why you lost the battle, then you get into the category where it says we're not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. You mm-hmm. know, God does not want us to be ignorant of how Satan moves, how he operates, because that's the only way we'll be able to stop him is by knowing how he does things. So there's times where... I remember being in a situation where I would see how something is uh, starting to play out. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I've seen this before. I know exactly where this is going. I know exactly how he's going to say it. I know exactly what that's going to be. And then I'll counteract that because I already know. And that's the thing about learning the enemy and how he moves, how he operates. And um, I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day. They were talking about how they got a, a sibling that is uh, apparently psychopathic. And mm. in, in this sense, they, they've seen certain things that they've done. And um, so they were like, you know, um, or they, they, it's an actual, it's a, um, it's a cousin, my fault. There's a cousin, and um, there's a cousin that did something, and they knew that it was a cousin that did it, but it was not something that could be proven. But the point is, is that, um, they were going to tell this certain person in their family, well, they told them, rather, that I'm going to take out a, a, a peace order against you. And basically, mm-hmm. I told them, I said, wait a minute. I said, you told them that? I said, listen, when you're dealing with an enemy, you never give them your strategy. Never. Right. 
You do it mm. and let them find out what happened later. <laughs> you don't <laughs> ever to give them a heads up and say, hey, we're going to attack you on the east side, so uh, don't go over there, <laughs> you know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> you don't do that. You got you to gotta hit them with a surprise attack. And that was one of the reasons why years ago when, um, when the United States was going into, I think it was Iraq or somewhere like that where we were doing certain things, and they kept on announcing stupid things on TV. The media was making me really angry at that time because they mm-hmm. kept on talking about what we were doing. And I was like, wait a minute, where in the world have we ever seen where somebody was telling the enemy on live broadcast what they're about to do or what they're in the midst of doing or whatever, what their plans are? And that made me so <laughs> upset because I'm like, you're giving away our war plans to the other side, and they can adjust based on that. So mm-hmm. the point is, is that you don't want to give away your plans to the enemy. You never tell the enemy what you're going to do. You just do it, and then they get the surprise attack. That's how you get them. You get them by surprise. And on the street, you know, I don't know if you ever heard this terminology, but there's this term called steal on somebody. You ever heard that before? Yeah, yep. So when you when you got somebody you know, that's uh, standing near you or whatever, and you want to clock them, you just steal on them, and they don't even know it's coming. Pop! And you hit them in the face, and they call <laughs> You know, <laughs> that, that's how you do it when you want an enemy. <laughs> if you want to get the enemy, that's how you do it. You don't tell them, hey, I'm coming, I'm about to punch you, I'm about to punch you. You know, you just hit them, and then they, and then they find out afterwards when they wake up, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so that's just, you know, um, the way that we got to uh, attack our enemy. But at the same time here, like I said, it's saying she shall rejoice in time to come. And the bottom line is, as a body of Christ, you know, we have an example of Jesus where it says, for the joy that was set before him, he, he withstood the shame. He despised it, but because of the joy that was set before him, it said that he endured the cross, despising the shame. Mm-hmm. It didn't say that he was like, he's all good through this and, you know, it's all good, you know. I know I'm yeah. going to win or whatever. It said he despised it. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to tell people that's listening, you know, when you go through things, don't think that just because the Bible says in all things, you know, rejoice, that doesn't mean you're not going to despise things that you're encountering. It doesn't oh, yeah, mean that you're good. not mm-hmm. going to hate what is happening to you by yeah. someone else. But what it does mean is that you will be able to find a way to see the other side while that's happening. And because of that, you are able to endure it. Yes. Yes, that's beautiful. And I think just keeping our eyes focused on the context of eternity, thinking about what our real future holds. We're not talking about the future like five minutes from now in the current battle we're fighting. We're not even worried so much about the battle that's coming up because we know our future ultimately holds nothing but eternity with Christ, nothing but peace and joy and love. And when we think about the future, you can think about the temporal things and those battles that you'll face, or you can think about the ultimate 
peace that we win. We, we may win, may, we may lose a battle in this realm, but we win the war with Christ. We're already victorious. And so that gives you context for the day. It gives you context for the battle that you hate. But it also gives you hope and joy because you know there is a better day that's coming. And these things, although very real, very temporal, very, um, very raw right now that we're walking through, these things are fleeting. And in the context of eternity, they will fade into distant memory and be nothing in comparison with the joy that's set before us. So it's a great opportunity to just have some context. <laughs> come come up for air for a moment from your battle and realize even if this is horrible, life is still unbelievably good. Life is still unbelievably um, full of grace and we have so much joy that we can be stepping into and walking in and through even in our darkest moments. And that's where I love how the, the translation that I'm looking at actually uses the word joy and it doesn't use something more sugar-coated like happiness because happiness is fleeting and it's based on circumstance. If you are in a good mood, it's because something good is happening to you or you accomplish something great or whatever and that makes you happy. But joy that's something you can cling to even in the darkest of moments because it's not based on circumstance. It's based on truth, and it's based on lasting future. So that joy is something to just lean into. Um, and once you lean into that joy, like this, this passage says, you laugh when you think of the future because you're not focused on the battles ahead. You're focused on that joy, that distant joy that's set before you that's actually so much closer than you think. That's good. So, <clears throat> in verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the first thing that I think of is the fact that, you know, the Bible talks about that a fool is um, is known by, you know, how what they say out of their mouth. But then mm-hmm. a fool is also considered wise when they don't talk. Mhm. Mhm. And you know, the one thing that um, you know, that I have learned over the years that has really helped me stay out of a lot of bad situations is about being quick to hear, slow to mm-hmm. speak, slow to anger. That right there has saved me from being in fights that were unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um that has kept me from having situations that would have been legal situation that I might have ended up in jail for or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that I have definitely seen over years of time that by just, you know, watching what comes out of my mouth, I have really, you know, headed off a lot of um, bad situations. And yeah. the thing that, you know, that I like about this is the fact that it's saying, her she opens her mouth with wisdom not it didn't say with knowledge it didn't say with information it didn't say you know uh the news of the day it said with wisdom mm-hmm. and wisdom is something that is much more than information because yeah. it's like saying i have a knife so if i have a knife that's knowledge that's under that's just having knowledge but if I know how to use that knife, that's wisdom. Mm, that's good. If I don't have wisdom, I don't know how to use the knowledge that I have. Good. That's the way it is. 
Yeah. And with wisdom comes the need for precision. And that even ties into the knife. Even when you were saying the word knife, I wasn't thinking like a like a hunting knife or a, even a kitchen knife. I was immediately thinking like a scalpel that a surgeon would use. The, the loving precision that comes with making a cut, the, the idea that loving instruction can even be painful. Uh, it can even be, we have to go through pain in order to experience growth. Um, if you're not winning, you're learning. <laughs> and in those seasons of learning to understand that someone who walks in wisdom is going to be speaking, giving loving instruction with wisdom and also with kindness, even if it feels like correction, that that correction is coming from a place of love and that, you know, when we know how to calibrate the truth and love in a, in the effective and gentle way that Jesus did. I mean, there were times when he was so, so sugary sweet, just his words dripping with grace, and other times he was very direct and almost scolding in the way that he would speak to people, especially religious leaders of the day and even his disciples. He holds people to a higher standard who should know better. <laughs> there are pieces of that with this woman that I can imagine her loving instruction being calibrated back and forth between those who need gentle invitation and those who need very direct challenge in what they're needed. And she's respected by all because of the way that she can come in, use the right words for the right people at the right time. And that takes a lot of wisdom. Yes, indeed. So then uh, the part that's really good, I mean, well, all of it's good, but I like this last part when it says, in her tongue is the law of kindness. The law. It's like when she's talking to somebody, and this is something that, you know, um, (laughs) I know that I've been around people who they smile in my face and talk about me behind my back. And I'm just like, that's interesting because, you know, I know this, and I still treat them well. I still yeah. act nice towards them and everything. I still treat them with respect and whatnot. And I'm just like, you know what? I mean, you can keep doing what you're doing, but I'm going to keep showing you that I'm bigger than whatever it is that you're doing. I'm going to continue to, you know, treat you well, even though I know what you're doing behind my back. Mm. So, mm-hmm. you know, but the one thing that I love about this is that it's saying that it's the law of kindness. It's not just saying she speaks kind words. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's almost like she's teaching you how to speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? I love she, that. She, she's got it. She's got the whole thing. She's got the law in her mouth. She's able yeah. to teach you about how to do it. So when she opens her mouth, you get taught every time about how to be kind. You're taught yeah. every time she speaks about what to say out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. That's just the way she is. And I just want to mm-hmm. say to those that are listening that, uh, you know, whenever you think about times that you had conflict, and you think about what the words were that were spoken during that time, you'll be able to probably pinpoint every time that your words were the reason for something happening. Your words caused a fight. Your words caused uh, an argument. Your words caused 
conflict, cause tension, whatever. It's your words yeah. that did it. Yeah. And that's why, you know, one of the things I tell people, especially when it comes to marriage, uh, you better think about what you say out of your mouth before you say it because you can't take the words back. It doesn't matter how many times yeah. you apologize. When you say something out of your mouth, the Bible says it like this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And yeah. that word abundance is the Greek word thesaurus. Mm. <laughs> so, so good. whatever's in your heart, that thesaurus that's in your heart right now, mm-hmm. that's what you speak from. That's already been there. You just said it out of your mouth now. Mm. So yeah. when you say, when a, pe- a person says, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, yes, you did. Because yeah. it was in your heart all this time and now came out. Because if it wasn't yeah. in your heart, you would not have said it. And that's all there is to it. And that's why we have to be very careful about what we say out of our mouth, especially to our kids, our children, I mean, our kids, our, our spouse, and, um, and even, like, people in our family or people in our jobs, things like that. They matter. I yeah. mean, you can't, you can't go to your job and, you know, your manager says certain things and you say something back and it's something that you should have never said out of your mouth, and then you try to take it back. Your manager is going to take what you said and judge you based on that, and that will either right. determine whether you keep that job or you don't. Right, right. Yeah, it, the, our words carry power. They really do, and they can be used for good or for evil. <laughs> and even times when we didn't intend evil, if we're not, truly careful and truly discerning the Father's heart and the Holy Spirit's voice to allow him to speak through us. We can say some things that are more harsh than any weapon we could yield. It's just, it's our words really, really do matter. And someone who carries wisdom knows that. And especially those who are meant to step in with loving instruction, you can't just say whatever's on your mind. Better to say nothing (laughs) than to say exactly what's on your mind sometimes. So, yeah, this is a powerful reminder of the power of your words and what they carry. Uh, We can, I believe that we can speak things into existence that were never there before because of the authority that we carry. And that's, that's very positive in some lights, especially when we're speaking of healing, when we're speaking of breakthrough and many of these other things. But if the words that we speak carry death, we can bring that to life as well, and we don't want that. So, yeah. And that reminds me, because that was exactly where I wanted to go, too, is that the Bible says power and death are in the power, I mean, life and death are in the power of the tongue, and yep. he that loves it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, there's a couple things to note about the Scripture. That word power is yod in the Hebrew language, and it mm-hmm. means to form a hand. It means hand. So whenever you speak, your your words are forming a hand in the spirit, in the spirit realm, and that's causing something to be formed. And then when you look in the uh, New Testament, it says, calling those things that be not as though they were. So yeah. whenever we're speaking, we are actually doing what the Father did when he created the world. And the thing is, is that's part of how we express our God nature because of the fact that we are doing exactly what he did. We're speaking, and the things that we speak are causing things to happen. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we have to realize is that, you know, 
um, those words, like, you know, James said, the, the tongue is a, a world of fire, um, and it can, you know, it can, it, it's a hard thing to bridle. It's like, you know, harder than the, anything that there is on this earth to bridle. I mean, yeah. but you got to be able to use it like a rudder. Mm. And a, a rudder on a ship is so small, but yet it makes a big ship move. Yeah, it really does. It really does. So that's, that's the reason why our words are very, uh, very, you know, important. And then I know that um, I've heard it said by people in my life over the years, you know, someone would say something like, now, be very careful what you say out of your, your mouth because whatever you say from this point on is going to determine what happens to you next. And, you know. <laughs> you yep. Know, it's like you 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 better you better watch what you say because that's going to say a lot uh, about what's about to happen. You know what I'm saying? So yep. it's like you better think first before you start speaking, and and right. that's what will save a lot of things from happening because when we actually you know uh, guard our mouth and say you know what, let me not say that. You know there'll be some times where I want to say something, and if I was not if I was quick to just start running my mouth, I would say something so damaging to certain people yeah. in my life that it would be no taking it back. And if it would take a lot of time to heal that because of what I might say in that moment. And mm -hmm. I would have said that out of anger or I would have said it out of frustration or whatever. And so in those kind of moments, it's always best to say, you know what, I don't want to say anything right now. I, I, I'd rather wait until I have time to think about this, to, to calm down, to meditate, to ask the Lord what to say, to pray, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I need to get mm -hmm. away from here because I'm going to say something I'm going to regret. So I'd yeah. rather not do that. So let's, yeah. let's just reconvene at another time and talk about this when we, got, we, we can have time to actually think about what we're going to say. And then that'll be a much better situation. And, you know, the person needs to just respect that. I mean, yep. I hate it when people try to force you to speak when you're not yep. ready to speak. And I'll look uh, at that person and I'll say, hey, do you want me to say something that's going to hurt you? Or do you mm -hmm. want me to say something that's going to be productive? Because yeah. I don't want to do anything just because. So right yeah. now it's not the best time for me to talk. We need to just go and just do whatever we need to do to calm down. Then we can come back together later and discuss this. But I'm not going to do it right now while I'm angry, and I know I'm going to say something that I'm going to regret. So right. I want to think about, you know, all of my words because in a moment, like, I mean, I guess let me say it this way. In a moment where there's like a, just a reactionary thing where you just start saying stuff reactionary-wise, yeah, uh -huh. I can probably say to that person, you know what, you're right. Uh, you said that out of a momentary anger, not because that's something that's just been in your heart festering. But that's why you shouldn't have said anything because you, you're responding out of a quick hurt or a quick word or whatever that happened in that moment, and you really should have gave it time to, to calm down, to really think about what was going on, and then be able to come back with a more assessed, you know, uh, response. Yep. 
So that's why it's so important for us to be careful about our words. Our words are powerful. They are definitely, I mean, pretty much every war. What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. We appreciate you, and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.